Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. You guys good? Everybody good? Scale of one to ten, everyone at the same time, how was your week? Cool. I felt like we all just combined, like did like a group phone number together. I just said like four, eight, seven, six, five. Yeah, I don't know. So anyways, um, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to study a little bit of that passage over the next couple of weeks. We're starting a new series tonight at the Harbor. It'll be a four-week series, and the title of the series is How to Tell People About Jesus. And uh, just so you know, there's nothing like hidden or like I'm going to like surprise you with what I'm actually teaching on tonight. We are actually going to be talking over the next four weeks about, take a guess, how to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, clear, not cute. And... I'm aware that in uh, whenever like Christians get together and, and, and teach and, and, and do church gatherings like this, um, there are certain topics that we get very fired up about and we're super pumped about, and there's certain topics that we approach with like a little bit of trepidation and a little bit of like, oh man, like we're going to talk about this one. And most of us are like, you know what, like I, I, I know we should talk about it, uh, it's something that... I maybe feel a general sense, if I'm a Christian, a general sense of, like, badness. Like, ah, yeah, I should definitely be doing that more. Um, But we're not exactly sure how to approach it. We don't know how to feel about it. And so I just want to state that up front. I'm well aware that that is the reality. I think there's a probably group of 25% of the people, if I pulled this room, that would be like, I love telling people about Jesus, and I'm all about it, and my food's doing the will of my Father, and, like, just, like, going for it. And then there would be the, like, the other group of maybe 50% that would say, like, like I said, I know I feel like I should, but eh, it's, it's just like, it, I just, I feel like there's a huge barrier to overcome. And then there's maybe 25% of people in here who would say, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't even think it's a good idea. Like, 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 I don't know if we should even do this. And so here is the promise for this whole series is I, I'm really praying that this series is a practical series and an encouraging series. And, and I really do believe this, that God has wired you, if you're a Christian, and I'm, I'm talking to Christians right now, if you're a Christian, I believe God has actually given you the ability to talk about your relationship with Jesus. And I believe that you can do it within your own personality. I think sometimes we, we feel like there's a specific way to do it. And it's like, man, I got to get a really poor camcorder and have my friend walk with me on the street and ask people questions. And like, is that the only way to do it? Or do I have to pass out tracks? Or do I have to uh, do this? Or do I have to do that? I think there's many different ways that we can tell people about Jesus. And I believe that God has wired you specifically to actually be able to tell people about Jesus within the context of your own personality. And so on the one hand, it will be actually scary and there will be a step of faith, but on the other hand, it's not gonna feel like this thing where it just feels like you're being forced to do something that's completely unnatural and like wrong and weird and yucky to do. That's my hope. It's gonna be scary, it's not gonna be yucky. That's, the, that's, that's hopefully the deal. So the other promise that I wanna make you is, 
I am not going to, at the end of tonight, nobody is getting told to go tell somebody about Jesus, okay? Um, Next week, maybe. The week after that, for sure. But tonight, and y'all are like, okay, cool, I'll come back in like four weeks, you know? Like, no, but tonight, we're just setting a foundation. And I wanna set the foundation by talking about Pulp Fiction. As you guys know, a classic film on evangelism. <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, but Pulp Fiction, I believe 95 or 98, uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, a famous director. And one of the most famous things about it is that the, the movie starts at the end. And you get this scene and you're sort of like, wow, what's going on? And I'm not going to spoil it, but you're very puzzled the whole time. It's a very random thing. And then at the culmination of the scene, the last sort of epic shot, it pauses and it reverses to the beginning of the movie. And then the whole movie, you're kind of spent trying to figure out what was the end of the movie. And, and so I'm gonna put up a verse, and the verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And it says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of God be reconciled, or on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is one of the most famous verses when it comes to sharing our faith. Like if a pastor says, hey, I'm gonna do a sermon on sharing my faith, just in the future, in your life, just be like, I'm turning to 2 Corinthians 5. It's gonna, he's gonna get there eventually. And then the friend you come with, like when he comes up, he's like, how'd you know that? It's like, yeah, every, every pastor talks about this when they talk about sharing their faith. So, this is the idea that we are Christ's ambassadors, that, that we are literally representatives of Jesus on the earth, and that how we're doing it, we're, we're begging people, hey, come to Jesus. So we're going to get to this verse in the next couple of weeks. But much like Pulp Fiction, I would like to take tonight and ask the question, what train of thought led Paul to get to this place? Why did he say we are Christ's ambassadors. And to do that, we gotta back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. So it doesn't take too long, but just a couple of verses earlier, and this is what it says in this verse. It says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we have together. And so I just pray that you would speak to us and encourage us in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in this verse, there's two phrases that I really want to break down. The first one is this, that Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. And when I was thinking about this idea, another translation of it, and I believe there's actually a more specific on the screen, another translation says Christ's love controls us. And I was very interested in this verb compelled, and so I did a little bit of deep diving. And I always tell people, um, I do not know Greek, but I do know Google. And so I was able to Google, I was able to do some deep diving, I was able to figure this out. And I'll be honest, before this time, what I thought this verb meant was it, it motivated us. 
Like, I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to give you guys a motivational speech, and y'all are going to be like, we're going to go out and share the gospel with the world. Let's go. And you're going to go for it, like that kind of a thing. And you're like, I'm motivated. You guys been motivated before? It's awesome. I love it. No better feeling than when you hear somebody giving you a motivational speech. I also thought maybe that it meant like guilt, right? Like Christ's love like guilts us. And we've all been guilted as well, you know? And I get up here and be like, listen, guys, I've been in my prayer closet. God's been speaking to me. None of y'all are sharing your faith, and I know it because God gave me a word about each one of you. And God told me he's going to let you into heaven, but he's not going to be happy about it. Until you guys get your act together and tell your heathen friends about me. Like that, and I could guilt you. And I don't know if even that's that, that guilty. But you know what I mean? And you guys have been guilted before. And, and here's the genuine thing. I, I, don't want, I don't want to motivate you, and I don't want to guilt you. And my genuine prayer is that you're not leaving here with this like, yeah, let's go, or this like, oh, man, I feel like I should. I really do pray that we are actually compelled by Christ's love. So what does it mean to be compelled? Well, there's a couple different definitions. One of them is to restrain and to control. So the image here is it's a city that's under siege from a a Roman army or a city that's under siege for an army. They are in complete control of what goes in and what goes out. A ship in a narrow channel, it cannot move one way or the other. A catch pen for, for cattle. My dad, um, in, his, uh, in his retired years, for some reason, I don't fully understand why, he bought a 70-acre cattle farm. And he built a catch pen for his cattle. And so literally, his cattle, he runs them into this catch pen, he slams the gate, and he is free to do whatever he wants with them because they are much stronger than him. But when they're in the catch pen, he can do anything. He can shoot them with the shots, I assume the COVID-19 vaccine or something like that for cows. I don't know if that joke would land or not. But anyways, um, he, he, could, he can brand them. He can um, do challenging things to the male bulls that we won't talk about. He can get them ready to, to do whatever he wants. Like when they're in that catch pen, like he has complete control over them. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that this love is actually uh, mentioned as being completely consuming as in a sickness. Multiple times in the scripture, the same word that is compelled or controlled is actually used to talk about someone being afflicted with a sickness. The the idea, like, uh, one of the things that I I struggle with is migraines, and I, I get really bad migraines. Actually, I think last week, two weeks ago, I was like up here preaching and I literally had to go get Tara, like, Tara, you, you do announcements, I, I'm leaving because my migraine was so bad. And so it, it, when you have sickness, and, and some of you guys are, are familiar with that, like you know that, and maybe some even struggle, are struggling with sickness or have some sort of chronic sickness, and you know it, it, it takes over. And it's literally like something that every single day you have to face and think about. And so I was thinking, like, this is a kind of a crazy concept, that that's what Paul's saying. Christ's love is, is like, like completely captivating, completely controlling. And even the word isn't typically associated with positive things. None of y'all are getting, like, really positive vibes from this. And so in some way, I think that this means that love truly does make us do crazy things, Like, I have done a lot of wild stuff just because I'm really in love with my wife. When when Katie and I, when we got engaged, 
I drove all night from, actually preached at the harbor, left, drove all night, got to the Charlotte airport, lied to her and told her that I was on a flight to the Charlotte airport because I'd, instead of use my money to get a flight to Charlotte, I'd use my money to buy a flight from Charlotte to Chicago where I was gonna surprise her and take her to, to propose. And so she picked me up from the Charlotte airport thinking I had landed and I was super tired. And she's like, why are you super tired? You just flew. And so then the next day I was like, hey, we're going on a big adventure. I took her to Chicago and I didn't know anything about Chicago. And I was just looking around all day and I found the cool spot and I proposed to her in Chicago. And it was awesome. And she said, yes. And we're married. And we have two kids almost. 1.75 kids, I would say. 1.8 kids. Two kids coming very soon. And... Uh, one kid coming soon. One's already here, just so you know. Like, no twins, <laughs> hopefully. Um, anyways, like, love does make us do crazy things. But, but I even feel like it's, it's something beyond that. And, and even what Paul is saying is that, that it's not that Christ's love beats us into submission or it shames us, but that when we actually get a hold of God's love, the only way to tr- truly describe it is it's inescapable. It is overtaking my life. And it compels me forward into my calling. And I think that a lot of times, people, when they ask about Christ's love in this way, what they will say is, Brian, I, I, I don't feel Christ's love in that way. Like, I think that probably you feel it. I see all these worship people up here. They feel it clearly. Uh, I see people with their hands raised. They feel it, but I don't feel it. I don't feel Christ's love. And, and what we're looking for so often is an experience of Christ's love. We want to feel it. We want to know it. We want to feel as close to God as possible. And, and I've, I've been there. I've prayed those prayers. Like, God, literally show me your love so much that I'm just overwhelmed by it. And I do believe that as we grow in our faith, we will know more of Christ's love and we will experience more of Christ's love. In different seasons, it will be different. And I do 100% know that when we get to heaven, we will actually feel the full force and experience of being truly loved by God. But, but in this moment, what we need to realize is that, that the basis of Christ's love, it's not how you feel about it. How, if you feel loved by Christ, that doesn't mean I'm not loved by Christ. Our emotion is a beautiful thing, and it's a good thing, and we should have an experiential portion to our love of Christ. But Christ's love is not based on our feelings. In fact, in this passage, Christ's love is not based on our feelings because this is what he says. He says, we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That one died for all, therefore all died. And so I want to talk about this for a second because we need to realize this. And uh, Tim, I think it's like two slides away that one died for all, therefore all died. But, But the idea here is this. That Christ's love, you actually can leave tonight fully confident in Christ's love because Christ's love is not about a feeling, it's about an action that he already did. And and Jesus, it says one died for all. That means that we should have been the one to die. 
And, and that has to be where it starts, that we have to say, I deserve to die because of my sins. The fact that you and me, from the moment we were born, we were doing it our own way. We had a, a heart that said, I, I want my way, not God's way. I, I agree with my perspective on life, not God's perspective on life. I, I, I choose my agenda, not God's agenda. Now, now, many of us, were on this path right now where we would say, man, I, I want to do God's will for my life. But even some of us in this room right now, you know, because you've even been walking in a season of saying, you know what? I have been doing it my way. I have been on a path of, of rebellion, not a path of, of, of obedience. And so we, we get it. I think all of us intuitively would say, yes, I, I was and I still am if I examine myself I'm prone to doing it my way, not God's way. And so what this scripture literally says is the wages of sin is death, that we deserve to die, that we deserve eternity separated from God. And yet, here's the truth. Jesus loved us so much that he didn't just stay back. And we live in this culture right now that's a vindictive culture. It feels like the thing that everyone wants right now is just, man, I just want someone to pay for this. I just want somebody to get back at, at all the terrible things that are happening. And so I think we get that feeling of like, man, I don't like it when someone who's guilty is innocent. It gets off scot-free. And yet that's what God did for us. Jesus looked at us and he said, you do deserve to die. And yet instead of you dying, I love you so much that I am willing to humble myself I am willing to suffer for 33 years on this earth. I am willing to literally be humiliated, to, to be stripped naked, to be beaten, to be abandoned by all of my friends, to be spit on by people that I actually created, to be tortured, to be hung to a cross, to suffer the, the vast possible humiliation and pain and suffering spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically that we could even imagine. And he said, I want to do it because I love you. It wasn't an obligation for Jesus. It wasn't like, I, oh man, like this is the worst. Like he literally said, like I, I, it's, it's joyful for me to do. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's how much Jesus loves us. And the reality is that we got to realize that that is what Christ did for us. And so it's not about, do I feel it? It's about me recognizing that I must know it and understand it. Christ did this for me. He died for me so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could step into a relationship with him. And I just want to say, man, if there's people in here tonight who don't even have a relationship with Jesus, the offer is for you as well, that Jesus loves you. And he did die for our sins, past, present, and future. And the fact that Jesus is hanging on a cross is actually a demonstration of his love. While we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us. And so if you're, if you're wondering, like, can I earn God's love? Can I live up to God's love? You, you already haven't. Nobody has. 
Jesus died for you before you ever existed. Jesus died for you knowing everything that you would ever do, and yet he still said, yes, I love you enough to suffer and die for you so that you can walk with me. And so when we understand this, that Christ's love expressed through Jesus on the cross, that is the type of love that that what Paul says is we enter into this idea of we're being compelled forward. And so it's not me saying, y'all really should do this. It's not me saying, let's go. Here's my best message. It's me saying, Jesus died for us. And he invites not just for this room, but for our entire community, for the entire world. And that reality should compel us forward. Now, even though that, that is a reality, it, it is true that we are still hesitant. And so, in fact, a, a few months ago, or actually a few years ago, in 2018, Barna did a survey of millennials. Now, there are some people in here who are millennials. There are some people in here who are Gen Z. And the the survey was for millennials, which I believe is like 1984 to 1998, something like that, that that range uh, is your birthday. And 47% of millennials who identified as being Christians said it is actually wrong to share your faith with someone of another faith to convert them. So in other words, it's not just scary, it's not just, ah, it's awkward, it's actually morally not the right thing to do. And and that, I believe, speaks to our current cultural reality, which is the, the narrative of our culture says it's wrong for you to impose your beliefs on anyone else, that, that you should always let every single person do whatever they want to do, and if you try to force them to do what you want them to do, that's wrong. By the way, that is someone imposing their beliefs on you. That is a worldview that someone's trying to push on you. And so that's not a neutral worldview. But, but I do want to share, because I want to share with just a few minutes here, four reasons why I've seen that people don't share their faith. Um, four excuses. And the, the reason that I know these excuses is because I personally have thought all of them. And I personally have wrestled through them for myself. Because I know that the feeling is that the thought process that we're all going through now, as well as even in uh, maybe our quiet time or in different times, is like, man, I, I know I should, but, but I feel like I gotta, like, like there's just something that's holding me back from it. And so there's four excuses, and again, I'm not being like, I know you guys, like God, God told me about the things you guys are trying to tell him and pull over. No, I'm like, like, I'm literally doing this. Like, these are things that I've thought and these are things that I've wrestled through. The first one is this, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. That's what people say. Like, I can't share my faith yet. I don't know enough. I need more information before I go out there. The thing that I would encourage us with this, and my heart with this is like, I'm not trying to like get up here and like do some cool thing and be like, boom crush that excuse, you don't get a chance anymore. No, but, but I do want to say, here's some thoughts to think about. I don't know enough. First off, everybody in here knows their story. Everybody in here knows how Jesus transformed their life. And your story is incredibly powerful. Your story is portable. You can take it with you. And you get a chance when you're talking with someone to share your story 
And it's actually powerful because according to the, uh, the narrative of the day, they can't deny it because it's your truth. And so you actually can get a chance to share what God has done for you. Now, once you start getting into this stuff, you're going to discover that people do have intellectual issues with the faith. Most of the time, an intellectual issue is actually a personal issue with a barrier around it. However, if you want to, there are literally so many resources. There's this cool thing called the internet that have so many answers to these kinds of questions. Christianity has had some of the greatest minds in human history devoted to studying and thinking about it. And so there's not going to, there, may, there will be for sure questions that you don't know the answer to. There will be questions I don't know the answer to. But I guarantee you there will not be a question that no one has asked before and no one 10 times smarter than me has deeply thought about. And so I'm a resource. Other people here are a resource. The internet is a resource. And if someone asks you a question that you really don't know about, I think it's a cool thing to just say, I really don't know the answer to that question. Are you okay if I research it? And if you go and research it and go back to them, you've given them time and space and you get another opportunity to talk. And so I, don't, I think it's okay to not know enough. The second thing is, I'm afraid. This is a big one. And again, when it comes to sharing your faith, sharing your faith is really scary. I have never shared my faith and not been scared about it. Like every single time I'm like, here we go, you know? And I'm like going in there, I'm like pray, I'm like looking, if I know I'm supposed to talk to somebody about God, like in my mind, I'm looking for a way out. Like I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm like, Lord, you know, just like show me that I shouldn't do this right now. If it possible, let this cup pass for me, God. You know, that kind of a thing. And, and so I, I felt a fear every time. But, but he, here's what I've discovered that the Holy Spirit actually does promise to give us boldness when we, when we witness. And what I've discovered is that the boldness rarely comes before I take the step. Typically what happens is it's like jumping into the pool where it's like, I, man, this is gonna be uncomfortable. I don't wanna do it. I'm dipping my toe in and it's extremely cold. But then when you actually jump in after the shock, you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. I can swim around in this pool. And that's what I've discovered, that when the actual step is taken, when the conversation's happening, that is when God actually gives the courage and gives the boldness. And I do love this text from Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 31. And by the way, the context for this is Jesus' 12 disciples who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who actually literally have already baptized 3,000 people and preached and, and seen a revival break out. And they are afraid because of the threats that are coming against them. And they pray for boldness, and it says this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so we must realize that we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us boldness, and we must trust that when we step into a conversation, the Holy Spirit will give us boldness. That's number three, two. Number three, this is a big one. I'm not gifted to be an evangelist. I'm not gifted to be an evangelist. In other words, Brian, you're a good pastor. You preach every week. Um, uh, there's other people who are just like being an evangelist who go for it. That's not me. It's not my gift. My gift is other things, and so I'm just not ever going to do it. Now, I'll be honest with you. This was one that I used for a really long time. 
Because I, I don't think like evangelism is my spiritual gift. I do really love talking about my faith and, and I've grown to enjoy it and grown to really be grateful for opportunities when I do it. But for a long time, while I was a pastor, really for the probably first five years I was a pastor, the excuse that I said was, every week I preach the gospel up here. And, and I'm doing it. You know, I just preached the gospel just now. So check, I'm good for the week. But what's interesting is that Paul talks to Timothy, who is a pastor, and he says, teach, but also do the work of an evangelist. In other words, get out there and actually share your faith one-on-one. Not, it's actually, it is safer, honestly, to do it behind a microphone than it is with a person that you walk with that's in your neighborhood that's, 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 that's there. And so uh, we, we got to realize that, that all of us are called to be part of it. But what I love, and Pastor Dave talked about this a couple weeks ago at church, and I just thought it was so good. He shared seven different ways that people actually can share their faith. And you could take a picture, you could jot these down, and I'll go through them super quickly. But he talked about teaching and preaching. That's what I'm doing. He talked about intellectual reasoning, conversations, apologetics. That's something that I do enjoy doing as well. Well, he talked about hospitality. Matthew invited a group of friends over and invited Jesus over. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, I I love hosting gatherings. I love hosting get-togethers. It would be no problem for me to bring 12 or 13 of my friends from work over to to have a a great night, and and I could use that to to point towards Jesus. Invitational, in other words, inviting people to an event, inviting people to Easter, inviting people to Good Friday, inviting people to the harbor. Personal testimony. We just talked about this, but uh, there's a beautiful story. It's uh, John chapter 9. A guy gets healed of blindness. He didn't see Jesus because he was blind. And they were asking him all these questions about who is Jesus? What are his motives? And he goes, I don't know much, but this is what I do know. I once was blind, and now I see. Personal testimony. Serving. There's a woman named Dorcas in Acts. She serves like crazy, and that's how the gospel spreads, and then giving. When we give, we actually advance the gospel forward. So there's many ways to participate, and within your personality, God can actually allow you to join the mission. And then here's the last one, is I preach the gospel with my life, not my words. Now, if you've been around me for a little while, you know, don't say that around me, because I will not let you get away with it, okay? Uh, there's the, 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 the meme about the land of make-believe, you know, the little thing. And he's like, the land of make-believe. Th- this is, if you believe this, that's where you're living, okay? Because, and I, I love you, but, but sincerely. Like, there is, seriously, in the scripture, a precedent that we must use our words to advance the kingdom. That, yes, we should use our lives. It, it has to be both. It can't just be I'm preaching and I'm living this horrible life because people don't know, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we should live a life of love. We should earn the right to be heard. We shouldn't just berate people with the gospel. But there does come a time when we have to open up our mouth and talk about God. And the reality is this, that people will be impressed with you if you're a good person if you're a kind person, but they're not going to be impressed into the kingdom. They're going to think, wow, that person's really great. But until you talk about Jesus and invite them into a relationship with Jesus, that's when that transformation will happen. Romans chapter 10, it says, how will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? 
Okay. I want to do two things to close. I, I told, every, told the, the, the team earlier that I wanted to go 35 minutes. I've gone 32. I'm pretty proud of myself. So two things to close. The, the first thing is this, that, that over the next few weeks, I'm going to be challenging you guys to think about specific people in your life that don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And I actually wanted you to take a moment and write down a list of people in your sphere of influence who need to meet Jesus. And right now I'm going to ask Amanda to come up to the front and play for a minute. But, but in this moment, I do want to ask you guys to think about people where you live, think about people where you work, think about people where you study, think about people where you play. And in each one of those spheres, I believe that God has brought you into relationships with people who know, who need to know about Jesus. If you're in discipleship, you're already thinking about that. You've already created that list. But I think it's always good to, to refresh it. And, and so what, what I want to encourage you in just a moment is, is I'm going to have you open up a note on your phone. And I'm just going to have you write some people down. But, but, but first, I just want you to read really quick Acts chapter 17. Here's what it says in Acts 17. Paul is preaching a message, and he says, From one man, God made all the nations, that they would inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed places in history and the boundaries of their land. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so in this verse, God is saying the reason he put us where we are is to walk with him and to know him more. And the reason he put the people in your life around you is so that they would also encounter God. And so God is very intentional with who and how he is placed. And so I want to take a moment. Let's just focus for this moment and where you live, where you study, where you work, where you play. Who are people that God has placed around you? And over the next few weeks, we're going to be praying for them by name specifically and asking that God would show up in their lives. So just for a, few, a couple minutes, write down those names. Write down several names. Maybe some of us still need to process and pray, and we're going to be writing down names over the next few days. And I just want to speak to this. Maybe some of you are thinking this. Maybe there's people who are even in here who are not yet followers of Jesus and maybe you're skeptical of this exercise and maybe even thinking like, man, this is like some sort of pyramid scheme. We're just trying to like get more people here or something like that. And I just wanna encourage you that like, well, we're doing this because Christ's love compels us. And I mean, I do want more young adults, more college students to encounter the love of Christ. That's my deep prayer. But it's not about numerically growing. It's about people encountering the love of Jesus. And, and if, if we really truly understand this, that literally without Christ, we are hopeless in this life and the life to come, but with Christ, everything changes. 
it should and must compel us to have a heart for people who don't know Jesus. So as we close, I'm gonna put up one more scripture. It's Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. And remember, I just talked about the fact that the love of Christ, it's not something we must feel for it to be real. There are days when I deeply feel it and there are days when I don't feel it and I just know it in my heart and know it in my mind. But this verse that we're about to read is a prayer of the Apostle Paul's and the prayer is that the love of Christ would go so deep into us that it would be deeper than just a head knowledge, but it would be a genuine experiential knowledge. And that must come from a revelation of Jesus. And what my prayer has been for tonight is that there have been people in this room that truly would say, I do know and I am experiencing Christ's love in a deeper way than I ever have before. I know that he loves me. And listen, the cross, it's, it's the proof of God's love, but it's also the proof of so much more of God's love. That literally, if God has saved you and rescued you from, from hell and from sin, he also is going to continue to pour his life and love into you for all time. But this is what Paul says. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every heaven, every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. If, if you've tuned out, this is where I want you to tune back in may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And so Paul is praying that we would genuinely, deeply get a sense of his love. And so we're gonna sing a couple more songs here. And during that time, it has been my prayer that we would have an encounter with Christ's love. And I don't want you to put an expectation on it that it must be this or it must be that. For some, it may be an emotional experience. For others, it may just be a deep-seated confidence. For others, it may just be a knowledge that this is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But I'm praying that as we sing these songs, as we press into the things of God, and you can stay in your seat, you can walk around the back, you can come to the front, whatever you need to do. But as we do this, I pray that we would know Christ. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.